here and embody as we are able for freedom of the gospel. It comes to us this morning from the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh. And what is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Francis of Assisi once prayed, God, who are you? And who am I? Those two questions may be helpful as we grow deeper in the spiritual life. If we're open, if we're alive, if we're growing in the spirit, those two questions never get old. God, who are you? And who am I? Our awareness of God when we are growing is always broadening, changing, deepening. And if we are maturing, our understanding of self is also broadening, deepening, changing. It is one of the blessings in my life to journey with people in their spiritual life, to talk about how God is at work in their life, to catch glimpses of where God is and where God seems absent, to talk with one another about how we might put ourselves in the flow of God's love, or more in the flow of God's love. 
These conversations are possible, I think, for all people of faith. It just so happens that as a pastor, people seek me out with those conversations because they know that's part of the landscape of being a pastor and being uh, in this, this calling. But those conversations are available to all of us when we are alive in the faith. Part of those conversations often includes doubt, questioning, darkness, unknowing, feeling like we're in a cloud, what the ancient writer in the Middle Ages said, the cloud of unknowing, where we feel like we're in a cloud and we don't see clearly, we sometimes don't even see right in front of us. You know, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certitude. The opposite of faith is certitude or certainty. What many people who are growing in the faith recognize is that certain seasons of life, their certitude vanishes. Their certitude is question. Their certitude doesn't work anymore. And that creates a crisis. Things they once depended on, even certain belief systems, they depended on no longer work. In fact, unless someone really has a faithful companion of those seasons, people might begin to think, and I've seen this in People's lives, they say, well, God didn't do this, and so I no longer believe in God. And what's actually happening is their God image is being questioned, which is different than God being questioned. Their God image may be a third grade God image. Maybe they stopped growing in the faith when they were in Sunday school and they. They never advanced in their God image. So their God image is maybe a white guy with a white beard up in the clouds who's controlling things and making good things happen if we're faithful. And if something bad happens, then we blame God. God can take it. But God sent Jesus to say, that's not who I am. Sometimes our God image needs to be questioned. Sometimes we need to doubt our God image. Sometimes we need to let our God image just die because it's no longer helpful. You've heard me say this before. God protects us from nothing. And God is with us in everything. That's not necessarily a helpful God image to a kid in third grade. A kid in third grade needs to feel protected. But the more people suffer in our own journeys, the more enduring that we go through, the more struggle we go through, we realize God didn't protect us from any of that. But God was with us 
in it. God sustained us in it, in the midst of the suffering. Do you see how that God image is a deeper God image than one that might be a good and natural God image for us as children? Sometimes to grow in faith is to leave behind certain certitudes. I think that's what's happening with Nicodemus in this story that Barbara read today. This very familiar passage of Nicodemus coming to Jesus at night. Isn't it interesting that it happens at night when things aren't clear, when things aren't lit, when things may be a little bit murky and in the shadows? Nicodemus, who is a Pharisee, he had, he had the good credentials to have certitude. He knew the law. But the law wasn't doing it for him anymore. His own certitude wasn't working anymore. And he came to Jesus at night and on the sly kind of said, I know there's got to be something more than this. I know there's got to be something better than just the law. And Jesus, you must know it because God's doing something in you. What do I need to know? This conversation is almost in hushed, whispered tones. Because if anybody found out, any of Nicodemus' colleagues found out what he was saying, what he was doing, what he was asking about Jesus, probably would have had some problem at work the next day. <clears throat> and Jesus says, we need to be born from above. I grew up with the scripture that said you have to be born again. Anybody? That's familiar? Yeah. You know, when some more conservative brothers and sisters in Christ ask me, so when were you born again? And they're looking for a date and a time and when my life turned on a dime. And I know they're looking for a date and a time and a place. And I usually say something like, I have been born again and again and again and again. Which is true. The Spirit has been at work in my life in every season of my life. There's an opportunity for my eyes to be opened to something new. I trust it is the same with all of us. But Jesus says to Nicodemus, you need to be born from above. You need to be born from water and the Spirit if you want to see the kingdom of God, if you want to catch glimpses of what God is doing. Today is Trinity Sunday. When we celebrate the three-in-one God, this mystery that is such a part of our Christian foundation, but it's also still such a mystery. One of the people who, has, who continues to teach me about the Trinity is Richard Rohr. Uh, it was last year, just about this week, that Richard was here uh, in Chatham, and we, we had him over to the parsonage for uh, a quick meal, and uh, this is Matthew and Elizabeth looking at some old pictures of the last time he came to one of our parsonages for, 
for dinner, and the kids were really little, and they were just kind of laughing at how uh, kids have changed, and Richard has not. <laughs> and and then the next picture you'll see uh, Elizabeth was going to be leading the, the time with young Christians on Trinity Sunday at Christ Church at Summit, and so she got one of these fidget spinners was going to talk about how this is three, but it becomes one. And so he gave Richard his own fidget spinner. And you can see Richard and his friend Jim, they're laughing because they, they're just delighted with this toy that we've given them. And then if you look at the next picture, you can see Richard is looking at this fidget spinner. And we can tell he lost it. He was, he was in another place. He was looking at this figure spoon, and we could tell his theological mind was working, and he was thinking of all the potential that this little toy could do. Let's go to a video. He's, Richard and his figure spoon has been coming up in a few videos. See, the first philosophical problem is the problem of the one and the many. How is there all this diversity? Look at all of our faces, different, different, different. God is clearly comfortable with diversity. It's the only game in town. There's nothing else but diversity, you know. How do we put together diversity with absolute unity? I put it in my pocket just in case we go down this road. I know you've seen this. You take what looks like diversity you put it in a wheel of infinite love, the infinity unites the diversity so perfectly together that you have absolute unity, as it were. What looks like three is one. That's the first philosophical problem was solved by the Christian definition of God. Now, what your secular humanist, I'm not putting them down by saying that, but what they want is to tolerate the diversity. And they're right, because we haven't been very good at that, you know. Uh, what we want to do, if you're at least a mystical Christian, is you want to hold on to the absolute unity. That I and the Father are one. I am one with my neighbor. I am one with Jesus. I am one with, with creation. Only the mystics tend to understand that. The normal street corner Christian never gets that far. But that's the goal. That's why Jesus can tell us to even love our enemies. Uh, because he, he believes in what we call non-dual consciousness. So our definition of love holds the two together. Our definition of love is given us by the shape of God. That we're going to hold on to the absolute right for the Father to be the Father and not the Son. The Son to be the Son and not the Holy Spirit. And yet... They are absolutely one, too. That's a paradox. That's a contradiction. Huh? Uh, so our understanding of love, based on this template, on this model, is not just protecting diversity, but also protecting radical unity. Radical unity. Huh? And I am afraid, at least in my conversations, with most liberal types and people think I'm a liberal type but I'm just as critical of them as I am conservatives uh, 
is they don't have much profound sense of the unity, of the radical unity between God and the soul, between my soul and your soul, between this race and that race, between that gender and that gender. In fact, Christianity up to now has emphasized the diversity, not the unity. And then not known how to put the Humpty Dumpty together again. You know, uh, So don't let yourself be written off as, oh yeah, you're just into this cheap tolerance. Everything is beautiful. In fact, I, I warn you, if you grow in the spirit, you will grow in an increased appreciation for diversity. But it will, um, it will make you more aware of when that individual diversity has not expected much of itself or has not grown up. In other words, your, your recognition of evil, if I can, actually sharpens. <laughs> Just the opposite of what they think. Uh, no, that isn't good. That isn't real. That isn't true. That doesn't mean I have to reject such a person or I have to exclude such a person. But I can't go back to that either, you see. So again, you know, the true spiritual life is always paradoxical. You're holding two seeming contraries together. And so this is another one of them. Your height your, your recognition is heightened of the nature of evil, but your capacity for loving the person trapped in evil is actually increased. Uh, you don't pity them. You don't look down on them. You don't dismiss them. Because usually, you know, I was there once myself, usually. <laughs> uh, so it's taken me all my life to to try to say that with some kind of coherence because I know it usually doesn't make sense. People want to position you as either liberal or conservative in our culture. Well, I'm radically conservative first. And because of that, I end up looking radically liberal. Isn't that a paradox? <laughs> yeah, uh, it still is a surprise to me how both are true. But be prepared to see that in yourself. And when Jesus says the, the human one has no place to lay his head, I think that's what he's talking about. You can't lay your head in the liberal camp and you can't lay your, help in the, uh, your head in the conservative camp. Both of them aren't your spacious place where grace has led you. So it's always the dance with otherness. Again, diversity that by the infinity of the love becomes unity. You're, you're going to see the pattern everywhere. Can we protect diversity and unity at the same time? That's the art form. That's the ultimate art form. You can't get any better than we, uh, we make humble attempts to try and describe the mystery, the mystery of the Trinity. On the bulletin covers you have, you might want to take those out. You'll see in the background is the icon of the Trinity from the 13th century. Andre Rublev, one of the icons of all icons. This is a, de a depiction of the, the three who visited Abraham and Sarah. And they entertained the Trinity without knowing it. So the first 
reference to the Trinity in the Hebrew Scriptures. But you also see overlaid on this a fidget spinner. Can you see? And then overlaid on that is the symbol of the atom. Three elements spinning around each other, holding each other in tension. If there are three elements in the atom, everything is Trinitarian. Everything is three. Everything. However we try explain the mystery of three being one. What Nicodemus was looking for is what we're looking for. And that is relationship with the divine. And the divine is looking for relationship with us. The three, the creator, the redeemer, and the sustainer are in a holy dance with one another and they're inviting us in. And when we can catch glimpses of that, we will experience the oneness that God hopes for all people and all of creation. May God bless us in our quest for that divine relationship.